Are you tired of being sheep? Well, so is he. Get a friend, get informed, and get involved. It's We Are Not Cattle Radio. Good evening and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I am your host, Jake Counts, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia. And it is the 25th day of March 2014. Thank you so much for joining me on this live transmission. We'll be here live for the next hour, as always, trying to navigate you through this crazy world that we live in. And... um, just a little side note, I am so sorry that I did not run the show for the last uh, week. I had a ridiculous stomach bug that has, I guess, infected almost all of uh, all of Georgia. So I was not alone in the battle, but um, needless to say, it was um, no fun. Um, so good to be back on air, good to be here with everybody, and a lot to cover, obviously, the plane, the missing plane, has been beat to death, so I won't be covering that tonight. I will be coming some of, covering some of the later news. I'll be joined here um, possibly in the next half hour by a couple of guests. So we just got to kind of sit and see what kind of story unfolds here. And it was interesting that I had an article picked up, or excuse me, a um, I had a a item picked up here that I was going to play for everybody. And I had some spam on it, so evidently there were some commercials playing in the background. It was kind of interesting, but um, I'll get everything straightened out here in the next couple of minutes. And I just lost my microphone stand. That was pretty fun. So welcome to live radio once again. And as always, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for sharing the message of what we're trying to get out here. Um, Free volunteerism, uh, free thinking, and a, a new dialogue in the United States, not the same old Republican-Democrat dialogue that you'll hear uh, with the political football points of abortion and war and subsidies and things of that nature. Um, We're talking about real issues. We're talking about social issues. We're talking about um, who makes the decisions for the Anglo-American establishment, a.k.a. your government, which is not really your government, but however you would like to perceive it. Um, that is perfectly fine. Um, just to give you my breakdown, in case you're new to the show, I do actually have a lot of new listeners, which is pretty exciting. Um, the word is getting out, evidently, that what we're doing here is uh, is having some sort of effect. And that's all that we can ask for, is that um, you give us your time, because uh, we're putting in the effort to try to give you a, a quality program that is not going to be the status quo, that is going to actually deliver you Um, some methodology to escape from the status quo and show you how to combat people that are still stuck in that mindset that we all have to go along with the the predetermined, pre-programmed Prussian model of education slash um, pre-formulated templates that you're all given to download as you get your schooling from high school all the way through college and then you are groomed to whatever quote-unquote speciality that they see that you're fit for or you choose to be in. And as we're starting to see now, um, the idea 
of government financed education and then government pushing education and then financing your education through the collegiate system is becoming a big, big fraud. Because people were getting degrees in underwater basket weaving and, you know, sports, um, not to knock anybody that gets like a sports psychology degree or anything like that, because those are actually pretty applicable. I mean, everybody's going to play sports at some point. But um, running into to fields of study that really aren't going to pay off, and then you end up racking up a bunch of debt, which the big banks and the internationalists love because they own all the big banks for the most part, except for your credit unions and so on. So they enjoy putting you into debt slavery because that is the new freedom, and that's what you've been sold your entire life is that the new freedom is to be like everyone else and to do what you're told and keep your head down and good Americans never ask questions. So that being said, that is the exact opposite of what we try to push here. We try to push free thinking, free-flowing information, and I'll give you my take on it. Now, you don't have to necessarily agree with my take. And I would, I would actually encourage you not to agree with my take and try to go disprove my theory and create your own opinion because that is one thing that we lack in this country is a dialogue between people. We don't have any dialogues anymore. It is the all emotional banter back and forth where there's no clear winner or loser, and there typically isn't a clear winner or loser when you're talking about politics or when you're talking about doing anything that's going to involve any sort of passion. So the only thing that we can hope for is that we can hope that we can inspire other people to do their own research, formulate their own opinions, and not just go along to get along because my parents were Republican, so I'm going to vote Republican. Or my parents were Democrats, so I'm going to vote for Democrats. And that, I think, is going to be the political shift that we need, whether it happens in my generation or the generation after it. I'm 35 years old, probably more than likely going to happen to the generation after mine, because my generation is still coming slowly to grips with the fact that we are an empire. We have been for quite some time, and we're not really owned and operated by the taxpaying people of this nation, as we're starting to see in government itself, as government rears its ugly head, as it always does throughout history doing what governments do best, and that is centralize power, control, and then manipulate the masses into giving them what they want, which would be more power, more control. And all of this is based on a little four-letter word, which we like to call fear, or as I like to call it, fear porn. So in our latest installment of fear porn that is cascaded through the, the national airwaves, we have seen our president, Barack Obama, come out and make statements that have been pretty interesting, talking about, um, talking about Russia and the effect of the Ukrainian situation. And if you would like to know my take on the Ukrainian situation with Russia, you can check out the podcast from a couple of podcasts ago where I break down the entire area of Crimea, what has happened there, um, the history of Crimea, how it's been predominantly Russian, and... Um, it has a extremely high Russian influence still today, and it would be like um, what would the, the best way to describe Russia would be like saying that um, it's kind of like San Diego, I guess. It's about fifty-fifty with Hispanic, and then you have Americans or whites or whatever you want to whatever you want to call it. You have Hispanic people that are immigrants, and then you have, and some of them illegal, but whatever. I don't really care about borders that are drawn by politicians. I think they're really silly. But that's an argument for another day. But 
you have the you have that kind of area it's a, that kind of a breakdown. But in the Crimea region, the reason that it's so important for all of these um, international um, uh, hoopla, I guess to call it, for lack of a better term, all of the international hoopla is all about the the Crimean region and and Russia going in and securing naval bases. Now, I broke down before, and I'm just going to give everybody a recap. So if this is your first push into the Ukrainian situation, then here's the Russian position, which I don't agree with Russia on their position, but if they are doing anything that any other nation in their in their um, in their situation would do. Um, Crimea did have a naval port that belonged to the Russians. It was through a treaty, so they went and secured the naval port, and they actually went and secured the pipelines which they own, that which actually run through the Ukraine, run through um, the Ukraine. And so they own that actual gas pipeline because it comes out of their area and runs right through the Ukraine, which is what this big squabble was all about, was because George Soros and the NGOs went over there to try to foment a rebellion because the Ukrainian leader decided that he was not going to join the EU. And thus we have our final conflict, if you will, and that is the holy monkey that has actually been the mainstream media running around explaining that – Putin invaded the Ukraine, which is not the case at all. If anything, the West started the entire debacle and then have basically set loose the, the neo-Nazis over there and um, have basically said that you have either two choices. We can either side with Russia, who is going to give us $15 billion, I think it was $15 billion with no strings attached to go form their trade union, or we can go to the EU where we're going to impoverish everybody and throw everybody on the debt and then um, – and then we're going to bankrupt your country. Welcome to America. Or excuse me, welcome to the Anglo-American Empire. So that being said, as I sip my tea, that was my breakdown of Crimea. Looks like we got a caller on the line, but um, I'm going to go to you here in a bit. If you can message me in the chat room and tell me what you want to talk about. That way I won't, um, I won't be caught off guard by your topic. This also might be a, um, a call-in from one of my friends that likes to listen on the road. So... I don't even know why I told all of you guys that. Anyway, moving forward, this is the quote that I wanted to get into. So, once again, as Josh Wiley and I talked about here from the Journalistic Revolution, we talked about how this was setting the stage for a new Cold War because this is what the oligarchs do over and over and over again. If you read history books, if you read, if you read their, <coughs> their brand of history, you will understand that um, – oh, it's uh, my friend Robert. That's who I thought it was. So um, if, you, if you read the history books and you read the off-mainstream history, um, Anthony Sutton's work is very good. I'm about to get his new book uh, – or not his new book, but um, talking about the, the American establishment and how they went and basically fomented the entire Soviet Union, funded it for the, I mean, for the most part, but you can get that out of any book, uh, a good primer for anyone. I would highly recommend you can get it off of Amazon for $7. I read it this weekend. And it wasn't anything new to me if this information is not new to you, but it's a, it's a good recap of everything that goes on or that has gone on in history with works cited and um, in quotes and, and federal documents, and that's None Dare Call It Conspiracy by Gary Allen. Uh, fantastic read. Once again, seven or eight bucks on Amazon. You'll get it in a couple of days, and um, it's really worth it. It's 130 pages, crash course in the non-coincidental version of history, which we're taught – you know, people just got really pissed off at Jews and went and slaughtered them, and that's not what happened at all. But I digress. So now uh, I don't know if um, if my if my friend is ready to come on yet, or if he was just calling in 
to get the feed over there. So we're going to find out. Um, Mr. Robert, if you can message me and let me know if you are looking to come on air or if you are just um, running this feed over to LMR. Oh, by the way, LMR listeners, thank you so much for joining me. I am a voluntarist, libertarian, slash anarchist. I believe that the only way that we can get rid of the oligarchs is to not have any mechanisms of control or any power centers for these people to gravitate to because they are psychopathic, authoritarian douchebags. And they will always gravitate towards it because that's their nature. Our nature is to be peaceful and live in a free society and do voluntary exchange with people. Their modus operandi is to dominate, uh, coerce, and enslave. So, it is the battle that is waged, I guess, throughout history, and we continue it with modern-day technology. So, as we stand in the face of the the ruling oligarchs, the insiders, as they're called in some books, the um, globalists, as Alex Jones likes to coin them, or the internationalists, which is what their, I guess, formal name was at some point in time when, um, anyway... When Rockefeller wrote his book about world government and said, if I'm supposed, whatever. Anyway, so now let's digress on to the new role of the United States government, which will probably be the disarming of the United States while we arm militarily, domestically, and militarize our police to create the police state, which every authoritarian regime does it. But once again, I sound like a broken record if you have followed any of the liberty movement or you follow my show. So... I am going to play this clip from Obama, and I'm going to break down, in my, um, from the best of my knowledge, what he's talking about here, and then we're going to get into some other interesting information. Um, piggybacking on top of that, I want to talk about um, what, uh, what the Vatican said this week about President Obama, and then we can move forward with, um, with the show. So thank you again for joining us. Share the show with people you know, people you like, and people that you um, – I don't want to say wake up because waking up is really stupid. If you want to – if you want to really change the way that we, that we work and the dialogue and the actual conversation in this country, we have to start talking differently. And um, you can't just call people sheep, even though that's what this whole show started about, was trying to wake the sheeple up. I don't want to call them sheep. That's, um, that's kind of selling them short. I would say that they're just um, misguided. We'll just call them the misguided um, youth slash adults of America. So anyway, that's my... Rambling. Here is um, speaking of rambling. Um, oh no, he's got a teleprompter, so it'll be okay. Um, here is our president uh, fielding some very interesting questions. And anytime you hear a reporter say a red line, it is the biggest joke in geopolitics you've ever heard in your life. Enjoy, everyone. Mr. President, thank you. Uh, in China, in Syria, in Egypt, and now in Russia, we've seen you make strong statements, issue warnings that have been ignored. Hmm. Are you concerned? that America's influence in the world, your influence in the world, is on the decline. And in the light of recent developments, do you think Mitt Romney had a point when he said that uh, Russia is America's biggest geopolitical foe, if not Russia, who? And uh, Mr. Prime Minister, do you think these uh, sanctions uh, will change Vladimir Putin's calculation, will cause him to back down? And do you see there's a, where do you see a Russian red line uh, where if they go any further, if they go into eastern Ukraine, into Moldova, where options beyond sanctions have to be considered. Thank you. Well, Jonathan, um, I think if the premise of the question is that 
whenever the United States objects to an action uh, and uh, other countries don't immediately do exactly what we want, uh, uh, that that's been the norm, uh, that would pretty much erase most of 20th century history. Uh, I think that uh, there's a distinction between us being very clear about what we think is an appropriate action, what we stand for, what principles we believe in, uh, versus uh, what is, I guess, implied in the question, uh, that we should uh, engage in some sort of military action to prevent something. Um, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that uh, the world's always been messy. And what the United States has consistently been able to do, and we continue to be able to do, is to mobilize the international community around a set of principles and norms, and where our own uh, self-defense may not be involved, uh, we may not act militarily. That does not mean that we don't steadily push against those forces that would violate those principles and ideals that we care about. Uh, Sanctions so, are military action, by yes, the way. Yes, you're right. Uh, Syria, the Syrian civil war is not solved, uh, and yet Syria has never been more isolated. Uh, with respect to uh, the situation in Ukraine, uh, we have not gone to war with Russia. Uh, I think there's a significant precedent to that in the past. Uh, that does not mean that uh, Russia is not isolated. In fact, Russia is far more isolated in this instance than it uh, was five years ago with respect to Georgia and more isolated than it was uh, certainly during most of uh, the 20th century uh, when it was part of the Soviet Union. Uh, the, the point is that uh, there are always going to be bad things that happen around the world. Uh, and the United States is uh, the most powerful nation in the, uh, in the world, understandably, uh, is looked to for solutions to those problems and what we have to make sure we're doing are that we are putting all elements of our power behind finding solutions, working with our international partners, standing up for those principles and ideals in a clear way. Uh, there are going to be moments where uh, military action is appropriate. There are going to be some times where uh, that's not in the interests, national security interests of the United States or some of our partners, uh, but that doesn't mean that we're not going to continue to make the effort or speak clearly about what we think is right and wrong, and that's what we've done. Uh, with respect to Mr. Romney's uh, assertion that uh, Russia is num our number one geopolitical foe, the truth of the matter is that um, you know, America's got a whole lot of challenges. Uh, Russia is a regional power that is threatening some of its immediate neighbors. How are they? <laughs> not out of strength, but out of weakness. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Ukraine has been a country in which Russia had enormous influence mm -hmm. for decades since the breakup of the Soviet Union. Uh, and you know, we have considerable influence on our neighbors. We generally don't need to invade them in order to uh, have a strong cooperative relationship with them. Uh, the fact that Russia felt compelled to go in militarily and lay bare uh, these violations of international law uh, indicates what? less influence, not more. And so my response then uh, continues to be uh, what I believe today, which is Russia's actions are a problem. They don't pose 
the number one national security threat to the United States. That's absolutely uh, correct. I continue to be much more concerned when it comes to our security. Oh, here we go. The prospect of uh, a nuclear weapon going off in Manhattan, which is part of the reason why uh, the United States, showing its continued international leadership, uh, has organized uh, a forum over the last several years that's been able to help eliminate uh, that threat in a consistent way. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's what we got. So evidently, whatever. I'm going to pull up my friend Robert here. We're going to have an interesting, interesting banter here. So, um, Robert Wassman from the Journalistic Revolution joins me. Robert, I don't know how much of that video or audio you caught, but um, thanks for joining us, man. How's it going? Oh, it's doing real well. I, I caught the bulk of it, and uh, you know, and I, I saw it on YouTube, I believe, earlier in the day. So, well, it it it, it would stand to reason that Obama would push security, and it would stand to reason that he would deflect all these other questions. But what what really baffles me when I hear something like that, how many war crimes does the United States have to commit before we're considered to be not so upstanding? I like how all of our political leaders talk about how upstanding we are when we put, impose sanctions on countries, which is an act of war. I mean, it, I mean, Ron Paul said it himself. Sanctions are an act of war. And you have... I mean, you have us funding, whether it's through the NGOs or whether it's indirectly through corporations, us funding rebellions, starting rebellions. If we don't like the dictator, we go and stir up other people's business, and then we have the gall and audacity to say that Russia going and securing a port, a couple of ports actually, uh, another base, and securing their their gas pipeline, which is the the only the only reason that the Ukraine was going to get strong-armed into the EU is because they have energy sources. Once again, it'll always come down to energy supply and money, everybody. And it's typically the two things that you can always back down to um, in geopolitics. It, it's you mean more, Ukraine has natural resources? Sounds like uh, they need some freedom. Yeah, they do need some freedom. We need to give it to them. And, and that's, the, that's the hypocrisy I think that, um, I think that we're getting at here. Whether it's Obama, whether it's George Bush, I think the American people are finally starting to see through the veil that is American imperialism and and the um, basically the the contrived statements that we make all the time when we do the exact opposite in our foreign policy. What would you say? Well, I don't want to give America so much credit. I think you said it better earlier when you said it's the Anglo-Saxon Empire. Uh, we just happen to be the policing arm of that oh, empire. I would, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah, you know, and so, um, but what what I, I find interesting is how he's willing, how he was able to make the jump from it's not one of the largest national security interests of America, mm -hmm. but then says, but we got to make sure there's no nuclear bombs going off in New York. That's quite a jump from not that important to, well, we got to make sure the worst-case scenario doesn't happen. Right. But and what, it, it, what, yeah, go ahead and continue. I'm sorry. I thought you were done. No, no. Yeah. I just wanted to, uh, uh, to touch on your, your question um, about, like, how many war crimes do we have to commit? Well, that's just it. As long as they're controlling the rhetoric, we're mm -hmm. not committing war crimes. We're, we're, we're liberating. We're not invading. We're, uh, we're, 
you know, we're um, we're enriching, not sanctioning. <laughs> you know, right. you know, it, it, it's very. That's how it's newspeak. Yeah, it, it, yeah, I would I would agree, and it's um once again I hate to to get on these points where we always agree with each other because it does it does sound like you know mental masturbation at a point, but I mean. Uh, the facts are the facts, and and it's really hard to, if you if you've studied geopolitics at all, if you if you understand what the American policies have been in the past, and and stepping outside of the bubble that is corporate media here in America, it's a completely different um, it's a completely different bird altogether. Because if you if you would just substitute America for Russia. Um, Americans would absolutely, or, or what we deem as Americans, would absolutely hate what the policies have been. I, I think about this um, logically. Okay, so let's say that Russia gets attacked, their capital gets um, blown up or something like that by um, 13 people from the Sudan. And then Russia turns and says, all right, now we're going to go invade um, the Ukraine. And we're going to put sanctions on the Ukraine and we're going to go get them because the Ukraine's got weapons of mass destruction. American people would flip out, but when we do it, it's completely justified, it's completely bonafide because of the, I guess it's the the overall aftershocks of World War II, where we were sold that we were the good guys, and we were sold that, that you know, maybe some, you know, maybe some pre- preventative wars, you know, wars of aggression need to happen in order to hold off uh, larger scale conflicts. What would you say to that? I it, it it it's a funny thing because you know I don't want to root for Russia. No, nobody. You know, knows. And I, you know, and, and I mean, you uh, gotta, at the same gotta, time, I don't want to root for America. So it's one of these situations where it's like watching a Nazi and a communist fight each other in the middle of a parking lot. Who do you really root for? You know. So, but that being said, um, Russia has more leg to stand on right now. Um, for the simple fact that it is upholding its contracts that it has already established with Crimea and other parts of the Ukraine, Correct. which aren't even really the Ukraine. Like a lot of people are saying, oh, they invaded the Ukraine. No, they went into no, Crimea, which was a city-state. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, you I, know, I, it's, I, so it's I agree, man. So, I mean, it really you know, is because it's it's a conundrum when you're dealing with people that don't understand where these regions and where these nations came from. Like, the breakup of the Soviet Union um, basically gave the Ukraine their own country. I mean, all of these different factions that split apart created all these, like you said, these countries. And, and a lot of them have some bleed over. I mean, they do. They have they have a lot of, like, like we were, I was talking about at the beginning of the show, they have a lot of bleed over from... From a Russian influence in Crimea, so it's it's a very Russian-dominated region, and then you have people with silly, silly rhetoric saying that they need to nuke like eight million people in order in Crimea in order to get some stuff done. I, I think that all these talks of nukes, um, people are really, especially political leaders, are really disconnected with how much devastation those things really do cause. Even if you're talking like a tactical nuke, that's a that's a couple hundred or probably a hundred thousand people that you're just wiping off the face of the map with no justification for. And and Obama, this is actually what I wanted to harp on, but we kind of got in a tailspin talking about the regions and the geopolitical um, you know connotations of what's going on and and how this all ties into the grand um the grand scheme of global governance. But um 
I think that it's very important to to make this statement. Like you said, Obama's worried about a nuke going off in New York. I, I really don't understand how how that chain of events comes into somebody's mind. I guess that you could you could make an argument for a for a minor terrorist cell being activated here in the U.S. to start some kind of um, to start some kind of war or foment some kind of war. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past the Anglo-American Empire to stage things. I mean, Jesus, we staged things over in Iran for like five years before we overthrew the Shah. So it's not like the, these aren't in the playbook. But to make that leap of you know saying I'm more worried about a nuke going off in Manhattan, I think that that's just fear porn. And I don't know if you think that too or if you think it was a, a veiled threat. I don't know what it was. I, I actually think it's somewhat of a psyop. I mean, ever since Russia has come onto the scene as far as, you know, the new American enemy, um, you know, people have started bringing up nukes. And, and I think what they're trying to do is um, make a mental connection between the present struggle, uh, or I use the word struggle loosely, but the present struggle with Russia to the Cold War. I think what they're trying to do is give us because terrorism is not working anymore. I mean, it is, but it isn't. We're getting to the point where, you know, quoting 9-11 to get something done has become a meme. It's a joke now. Someone's all like, hey, we need more NSA spy because 9-11. People are like, yeah, okay, we've heard that for the last, you know, 10 years. We're done with that. So we, I think they're reverting back to that old, well, no, there's this other superpower who opposes everything that is American, and you have to be afraid of them because nukes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree. It's it's almost like it's it not it's not gaslighting, but it's almost like you said. It's the it's the condition uh, Operation Mockingbird kind of rhetorical uh, newspeak. Like you said, if you just say nuke a whole bunch, just like if you say weapons of mass destruction a whole bunch, then you're going to get the exact same. Um, uh, I guess vitriol and and once again fear propaganda out of the American people, but I just don't think that um, I don't. Here's here's the funny thing. Uh, in some ways, people being that people being this disconnected from reality is actually a good thing because mass media and mass brainwashing is starting to not have any effects because people don't care. Well, people people in California, if you told them that. You know, if you tell Joe Schmo that's sitting on his couch smoking a joint right now at three o'clock in the afternoon, if you tell him that you know somebody's going to nuke New York, he's not going to give a flying rip. He's over in L.A., and that's what they'll say because they're, you know, I, I guess the, the classical definition of a, of a Satanist would be somebody like that that has no entropy and has no that uses moral relativism to to justify acts like that. So it's um it's I think that it's um I think that it's an interesting conversation that we should have about what the mass media is really doing. Are they having an effect, or are they almost uh, doing the exact opposite of what they should do if they were looking to run a fear campaign with all these different agencies and, and these different um, – oh, gosh, I just lost the word. Um, whatever. Not advertising agencies. Help me out here. What are the uh, – Public um, relations. There we go. Public relations. What a joke. All right, so anyway, what, what are your thoughts on my theory there? Do you think that that's viable? I, I definitely do. Um, you know, it, it goes back, I, I hate to quote Ike on this one, uh, but problem, reaction, solution. You know, sure. I mean, we, we already know that there's a lot of evidence that, pr- that prove or at least uh, allude to the fact that we had a lot to do with the opposition that's taking place in the Ukraine and that area of the world right now. 
we also have a lot of evidence we, that we shows that civil grammar, logic, rhetoric. Um, who would you define as we? Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, we, as in the um, uh, American officials or American-based organizations like the CIA American, and FBI. Would it mainly. be safe to say? Would it be safe to say American political influences? Correct. I would okay. say it's definitely safe to say that. Okay, good. All right, continue. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just wanted to make sure that you weren't talking about you and I. No, no, not me. Yes, I have a lot of influence in the Ukraine, didn't you know? But uh, <laughs> I have a huge following it, in Ukraine. <laughs> but so, um, you know, it, we, 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 we've seen this with the snipers. When the sniping was taking place there, it turns out that they were government agents who were shooting both sides of this opposition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then the fact that we're putting sanctions on Russia, we're, and, and, and we, all, we do it all in the guise of, oh, we don't want to go to war. Well, if I don't want to go to war with my neighbor, I don't surround his home and refuse to let him to go shopping. Um, you know, if I don't want to go to war with my neighbor, I either leave him alone or build a bigger fence. Right. <laughs> no, but that's a, that's a really good, and I think that people should probably think of it like that. So you can keep going, man. Yeah, and so, you know, and so my whole thing with this is like, we, you know, on Journalistic Revolution, we do a night, every episode we do, we have an update on the Ukraine. So it's it's definitely in the forefront of my mind, but at the same time, I feel guilty because... I know it's it's a farce. I mean, it's it's a serious farce, and lots sure. of people can die because of it. Mm-hmm. But it, it's a farce nonetheless. And even people like myself, I fall right into it. Just you know, and but at the same time, is it a farce? Because you know, this is the way my mind works. I'm my own devil's advocate sometimes. Because mm-hmm. as soon as this happened, it was, hey, look at this missing plane. Look at this missing yeah, yeah. plane. No no. no, no, no. That was that was a hundred percent it. That was um. That was, and and I think that Lee Camp or somebody like that made a post that that I saw on Twitter that said, "All this over a missing plane. What's what's the news they're trying to hide?" And mm-hmm. it could be it could be the Argentinian. Um, I, I don't know. There is a lot of different things going on globally now. I think people are realizing that um that the way that that governments have moved throughout the past few years has been progressively authoritarian and and as you and I well know if anybody studies history or anybody studies the 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 politics of government the reason that you had a constitution and something like that because it's you know it's the next closest thing to to absolute anarchy which you and I both know the true definition for that which is anarchy mm-hmm. doesn't mean everybody. Anarchy does not mean no rules. It means no rulers. So I, I guess it's like um, I guess it would be like pure communism in the sense that there is no there is no government that everybody gets along together in free association, but um, not through a command and control economy. I guess that's the two differences between the two extremes. Both of them are considered quote unquote extreme because we don't want to have um, elected people or unelected for that part, which is mostly what's going on now. Unelected bureaucrats making laws, edicts, regulations, statutes, whatever you, whatever stupid name you want to put on them to restrict the freedoms of the people that actually live in those territories. So the – oh, man, I, I, I can't even think about where I was going with that. Good gosh. Well, I, saw I don't want to get too far off track. track. Now, I saw this article where I, wanted to, where I wanted to go next, and it completely distracted me. So go ahead. What were you saying? No. <laughs> well, I don't want to get too far off track, but you brought up a really good point. 
Okay, and um, it, it it's the the people around the world are starting to notice this, you know, and um, there's revolutions popping up almost everywhere, almost daily, and, mm-hmm. and not counting the the revolutions that have been taking place for the last twenty years that nobody sure. talks about that are happening in South Africa and North Africa, mm-hmm. um, you know, and but my my problem with this is is I'm going to get a little controversial here, and I'm going to say something some of the listeners might not like because it's I hear okay, a lot man. of people say, "Bill, no, you're racist. It's fine." <laughs> don't like Obama. a lot of people are. It's fine. <laughs> a lot of people like to um, say, um, "Oh, well, just, when the economy collapses, it'll solve all the problems." Well, that's if you believe that the economy is collapsing by accident. No. Um, when I mean, it's obvious at this point that you know every collapse, at least in American history, and a lot of argument can be said for world history, every economic collapse was intentional, either by opposition or by the government itself. Yeah. And so, if this collapse takes place, why do, would anyone believe that it was anything other than intentional? And if it's an, an intentional collapse, why would anyone believe? that there's not already a contingency, that there's not already a way to retain their power when this economy collapses. You mean, if, there's, if not, the you economy, mean there's already SDR drawing rights? What are you talking about? Come on. <laughs> well, my, my, uh, a perfect example is in recent history you had the Great Depression. Did that cause a revolt? No. Did that make America freer? No. As a matter of fact, that depression, that one in particular in the 1920s, is the sole reason that we're in the situation that we're in now is because J.P. Morgan and the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds, when this depression happened, they used the opportunity to buy up commodities and properties and everything at such an incredibly low rate that when it did bounce back, these guys were hundreds, if not thousands of times richer than they were before. No, and that, so was, it, an, it, that, was, an organi- that was an organized implosion because J.P. Morgan called in 30% of his short-term notes, and everybody had to mortgage everything. I mean, so yeah. it's not like – I mean, th- listen, people, this is, this is not like pie-in-the-sky theory here. Just read you some books, please. Please do yourself a favor. Read and research what we're talking about because this stuff did happen in history. This is not my opinion. This is not Robert's opinion. This is – off mainline history that you won't learn from from your government Prussian education. And I don't want to keep bashing that, but it is. It's classical conditioning education. Anyway, I don't want to get tailspun off of that. So go ahead and continue, finish your point. But I did want to, to validate what you're saying in about how it actually came to pass because it's not really that difficult. If you have these big power brokers that own a lot of the debt, then what do they do? They only have to call in a certain percentage of the debt, and then everybody has to pay at that time. And then you compact that with inflation and everything else, and then you've got yourself a full-on depression. They sell all their assets, all their commodities. What do they do? The vultures come in, scoop it up for pennies on the dollar, move on and do the same thing. It's, it's the same scam that's been run over and over and over again. And as long as they have control of the money supply and as long as they have control of the currency and credit of the nation state, then they can do it. It's, it's an absolute joke. They just shear you and then let you get your wool back, and then they shear you again. So sorry about that, man. I had to get my two cents. Oh, no, it, it's fine. No, um, and I want to. Uh, I'll end on this point, and you can expand on it uh, a little bit more if you would like. Mm-hmm. They don't care what we're doing. We can stockpile all the silver, gold, Bitcoin, Litecoin, alt currencies that we want. 
And the mm-hmm. reason I say they don't care is because today the IRS stated that Bitcoin is now considered a possession and taxable by law because it is an asset. How is it an asset if it's ones and zeros on my computer? They, they've said because it holds value, it is an asset, kind of like how you would if you were on the foreign exchange market or working in day trading stocks. Why don't they just come in and just, like, just start massacring everybody? I mean, if you guys are just going to keep robbing us, keep robbing the American people, keep robbing the world, just do us all a favor and just line us all up and, and mow us down. Because this stuff is getting ridiculous. I mean, oh, that, that aggravates me. That aggravates me to a point that I can't even, I can't even begin to comprehend. Not like I didn't see it coming, Robert, but you know, I, I knew yeah, that they it, were going to. It happened and, a little bit quicker than I thought it was going to, to be completely honest. Well, that means that somewhere somebody has accepted the idea of a cryptocurrency, and that scares the crap out of me. Because now what's going to happen is that whether it's um, whether it's um, what was it, J.P. Morgan Chase that had their uh, cryptocurrency on. Um, that they, I guess, they trial ballooned in 1993 or something like that, and they've had it on ice ever since, and they're trying to roll it out now. Um, that scares me because now they're realizing that it's an actual commodity, like you said, and it has value. So now we're moving towards more of a digital age, and that's why I diversify with my with my um, minuscule portfolio. I diversify not in stocks and bonds because that's all a big scam and a racket, but um, silver, Bitcoin, gold, um, food, all kinds of different um, different tradable commodities. Not that I'm expecting the implosion, but if if the implosion comes, I don't want to be caught flat-footed. And I think that that's uh, – and for those of you that don't know, um, newsflash, the, the world economy is like um, on toothpicks and bubblegum right now. So, oh, yeah. all right. Oh, yeah. No, back, I mean we, we, we – globally, we are holding on by a thread. Actually, China's holding us by a thread. Is that right? Would that be fair? <laughs> well, to be perfectly fair, you know, and, and, and 100% factual, they really only own about, what, 13% of our debt? But what yeah, they're doing like, with that debt is oh, they're bar- We're borrowing in a 40 cents on the dollar, but they're buying up property, land, companies. They're, they're doing a lot, man. They're, they're making some yeah. moves. Yeah, what they're doing with the debt is what what's scaring me. Not necessarily that they own only thirteen percent. Cool. You know, All right. Well, I've got you can the, do a lot of damage with thirteen percent. I've got to, I got some Rick Strattenberg going to call in here here in a minute, and um, he's a good guy. He was on the show here with uh, Josh and I a couple of weeks ago. Uh, a different. Uh, he comes at it from a different angle, different perspective, um, but. Um, he would definitely have some stuff to say on the, the economy. And um, anyway, we'll get him on and get his thoughts on all this stuff. So, I mean, we'll get his take. In the, oh, my gosh, we have got 17 minutes left. Where did the time go? Okay, so briefly before he calls in, not shifting gears completely. So uh, long story short, guys, new Cold War, um, saber-rattling, sanctions, active war. Anyway, uh, we're the biggest hypocrites in the world. Now we're moving on. Okay, so here's what interests me the other day. I saw this, and not that I ever like to take anything from the Vatican very seriously, you know, a bunch of money laundering pedophiles, but, you know, it is what it is. So the Vatican's chief justice came out the other day, and this was published in CBS St. Louis, and said that 
Barack Obama's uh, here it says it's true that the policies of the United States have become progressively more hostile towards the Christian civilization. Uh, yeah, because they want to. It's socialism, dude. Read a book. It appears that to be totally secularized men who are aggressively promote anti-life, anti-family policies, uh, aka socialism. Um, and he goes on to say he wants to restrict the exercise of freedom of religion, freedom to worship. That is, he holds one as free to act accordingly to his consciousness and within confines to his place of worship, but that once the person leaves that place of worship, the government can constrain him to an act of rightly forming conscience and even such as serious as moral questions. So I think that what he was trying to get at here, and, and I might put words in his mouth, but Robert, do you remember the big um, ordeal that was made over the military um, not allowing evangelical Christians to practice their religion outside of the base? Like they could not spread Christianity or teach Christian values outside the base. And I know that you're a Christian, so this might hit close to home for you. So what do you make of the, what do you make of the Vatican, which is obviously not one of my? Uh, they've got a long-standing history of being, you know, absolute. Um, anyway. Don't want to bash them too bad because there's probably some Catholics out there listening. So not trying to offend your religion, <laughs> but um, not trying to offend you. But, but your I mean, leaders suck. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, I mean, come on, man. A guy in a fish hat. Come on. When's the water pitcher coming? Anyway, what what is your take on this? What is your take on? Obviously, the the Vatican is coming out, calling out the president. The president seems like he is doing the job that the internationalists wanted, and that was to be the fall guy. And it really does look like he's becoming the lame duck president that we all thought he was going to be, and he's becoming the fall guy, but he did get the part of the economy that they needed to have in place, and that is to socialize medicine and socialize healthcare. Well, as far as the, um, the, them banning people from being able to practice their religion outside of this, um, the military, that is, mm-hmm. um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my red hat off here for a second, and I'm going to set aside my Christianity. I'm going to put on my black hat. Uh-oh. And, That's okay, racist. I wh- think you just made a racist <laughs> statement. <laughs> but uh, wearing my pure logic hat, mm-hmm. right, um, it would make sense on a contractual agreement that since that technically when you have signed up for the military, you have now dedicated 24 hours, seven days a week of your life uh, uh, to them for a certain amount of years. They own you, and you signed that contract willingly. They technically have the contractual right to tell you what you may or may not practice, even when you are not on base, because according to that contract, you are on call and on duty at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, as far as that goes, I have no problem with it. Taking my black hat off, putting my red hat back on, it's it's ridiculous, and it's just a way of uh, the the government to show that it is the true supreme leader overall, and that it even has rights over your beliefs because I'm Big Brother, and that's what I can do. Well, I I, I think that I would agree with you, and it's once again not to go around patting each other on the on the back, but. Um... It, it it becomes a disturbing trend when we're starting to see this, and hopefully the American people can can at least awaken to the political um, the political con game that has been going on for a very long time. If you win re-election, you're supposed to do a couple of things. You're supposed to tank the country. You're supposed to basically leave as you're getting your foot booted out the door, 
and then everybody's just going to remember you as that person that was, oh, I remember when he passed Obamacare, and with Bush, it's, oh, 9-11, and with Clinton, it was all, you know, well, for me, it was all the removal of Glass-Steagall, you know. For me, it was but Waco. The, was that? that that was my thing for Clinton? For Clinton, it was Waco for me. That's how that and Lewinsky. That's all I remember that guy for. That's uh, <laughs> well. I mean, yeah, it is what it is, man. It's um, <laughs> oh gosh, but it, but it does become a dichotomy of things. And you know, I I just had one of my one of my friends in the chat board just kind of tell me that um. I, I guess he doesn't believe with my idea of the, the socializing of medicine, but if you look at the way that, that countries in um countries in the past have become some somewhat um I guess communist is the the fact that you have to you have to break up the family, you have to I mean there's certain goals and objectives that you have to do and you have to push certain things. Now I'm not saying that that uh, Obama is doing that purposely. I'm saying that it, it does lean towards something of a of a socialist taste but i'm you know i i understand i understand the um the idea that that fascism is always around the corner i understand that i understand the fact that that socialism and communism sound good on paper and i i understand the fact that that we're trying to move towards a a world socialism i understand all of those things so when i see little benchmarks of things that have yielded socialism in the past, I'm going to call it out because that's not the way that you typically want to go if you want to have a free society. Are there countries that have operated like that and done pretty well? Sure. Are there countries that have operated under a lot of socialism and done very poorly? Yes, like France. France was very socialized, and look at what happened. The experiment in socialism always ends up being something where you get – where you get a big kleptocratic class at the top that siphons off from the middle class and the poor, and then they give them little trinkets and they give them little pieces and tidbits in order for them to feel secure and safe. And that's the only thing that I can say about that. Now, I mean, obviously, well, um, you gotta go ahead, man. I, I want to interject. I, I, I want to bring in the common denominator here. Let's look at all the failed governments of history, right? What do they all have in common? The belief in power. You know, the belief that people need to be ruled. And that's the underlining commonality of all failed governments. And technically, you can say that all governments have failed or will eventually fail because they're all still under that premise. We have 6,000 years of governance based on the premise of rulers. Sure. And that is what it boils down to. These socialist societies, these communist societies, hell, even these authoritarian societies um, mm -hmm. could technically exist mm -hmm. if they were completely voluntary and, sure. and a lot smaller. You right. know, um, so the underlining commonality between all of them is the belief that people need to be ruled. Yes, I agree. Uh, and, you know, once again, from a voluntaristic standpoint, I'm just... I guess I was just trying to explain the mechanisms of history and the path that you're going down. It's like if you want to go down to a free society where you have free enterprise, free trade, free association, like you like you were saying, the freedom to, to do what you wish with your own person, papers, effects, with your own body, with your own materials. And if a group of you want to get together like you talked about, and, and, um, and you and I have talked about this at nauseum. 
uh, up until 2 and 3 in the morning, and actually a lot of us have been on conference calls talking about this stuff. It's where if you created a society that was had pockets of a socialized community or a communist community or, heck, even if you had a, a constitutional community and then an anarchist community, if everybody could respect one another, then it would be fine. But what happens is, like you said, you get into this fact that, oh, now we have to elect somebody to handle that and we have to do something and somebody needs to be in charge of that. And it's this it's and then you get the people that are the psychopathic people that want to dominate and they're the ones that are going to gravitate towards the power centers. And that's why, you know, I've advocated to to almost everybody that I know that philosophically I'm an anarchist because I don't believe in masters because masters always gravitate toward the power centers and they always do this throughout history. It's it's not rocket science. It's more like clockwork and it's more like preconditioned um, drug fixes for these people. It's like they don't care about, you know, having a beer with their buddies. They care about dominating people. They care about, you know, overthrowing countries and, and feeling like, you know, I've done something and I'm, you know, I'm a military strategist or something to that effect. I don't know. Maybe I'm just ranting, but that's that's kind of my well, take on it. I, I completely agree. I have a theory. Do you know why 75% of the voting population doesn't vote? Um, I would say, hmm, let me see if I can kind of get a little deep on you here. 75% of the population does not vote. I don't think that they think it makes a difference who's in charge. I think that, I think that they have this childlike disposition. This is, are we talking about just Americans period or what? Yeah, in just Americans over, it's roughly now, I know some people might be like, oh no, it's actually... 72%, but it's roughly 75% of the voting population, the eligible voters, do not vote. So I, I would say that um, I would say that a lot of them believe that it'll just work itself out, that they don't need to be involved. I think that they feel Here's like, my theory. well, it's worked for this long, so, I mean, what's saying that it's going to change? Well, here's my theory. It's because most people, normal people, don't want to tell other people how to live their life. Yeah, that's a very good point. And, I, would, I would agree. You know, and so I think that you're absolutely right. The only types of people who go for this power, who feel the need to do so, they, mm -hmm. I want to be mayor or I want to be president. Now, I, I've met lots of these people. I have lots of friends who are actually politicians, and I think they're wonderful people. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, at the same time, there ha I, I think that there has to be a disconnect where that they think they can tell people how to live better. Mm -hmm. No, it's a you know that's that's a hundred percent it. I I ran into one of those people on Facebook today, um, and I won't even want to drop what it was about, but it was a it was a narcissist saying that. You know, since I didn't like GMO crops and I thought that they were dangerous and they haven't been tested well enough, that I just need to get out of the way and let the scientists do their job so that they can build a better planet and save people. And that, to me, and imagine this, he's a professor. So what that told me is that you're so used to dictating to people and telling them what it is that they need to know that you're trying to tell me uh, a very well-educated human being that can think by myself 
I've broken your mind control of your predetermined state-run education and understand how to think for myself with grammar, logic, rhetoric, and using facts and history in order to base my opinions on. And you're sitting here trying to dictate to me that you understand how to live your life better. Yeah, they're authoritarians, man. I, I think that that would be the best way to describe them is that they think that they know best. Mayor Bloomberg is the prime example of somebody that you're talking about. I don't think that people should smoke. I don't think that people should have guns. I don't think, I don't think, I don't think. And if he doesn't think it, then that's the way that he wants it to be. I think that these slaves are too stupid to do this. Well, you know, it's not up to you. We're on this planet too. We have a right to, to, to all of these other assets that you have a right to. It doesn't mean that you get to restrict them just because you wear a nice suit and you got a big entourage. Well, I guess it does. I mean, shoot, you got elected, whatever. You, the elected rulers, right? Yeah. No, I, I, I have to agree with you. And, and so, but my, my thesis is, and I'll, I'll wrap this up because I know we have another show coming on after you. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, uh, but my thesis is, is that they're not the norm. So that mm-hmm. means that, and, and if you were to extrapolate that over the entire population, include every man, woman, and child and felonist, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> into that same calculations, you're looking at a much larger number of people who do not tell other people how to live their lives. Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, I, for your listeners, I would think, I would say this, think about that. The normal, average person does not want to rule you, and you do not want to rule over them. So should we be dealing, should we be listening to the most minority of a group, which is the psychopaths who want to rule you? Should we be listening to them? No, that is a really great, that's a really great statement to end on. So, um... All right, that's um go ahead and plug your stuff, man, before we um before we gotta get out of here. Um where can people find your work and support what you guys are doing over there? Oh yeah, you can check us out at journalisticrevolution.com. From there you'll be able to find all of our content from our YouTube videos, articles, and even podcasts with Josh Wiley and one Mr. Jake Counts. Um yeah. and also you can check us out at Liberty Movement Radio where you can hear great shows like this one. We are not cattle, peace news now. Uh, Breaking the Oath Breakers, One Step Beyond with Josh Wiley, Journalistic Revolution, and Post Politics. There it is. And once again, everybody, support free ideas, support your own ideas and your own ideology. And as you see, Robert and I will agree with each other on a lot of things, although we'll pick each other's brains and sometimes we'll find some disagreement. And that's what I was just messaging my friend because he says that he he disagrees with us on a few of these things because he he is more um i guess uh, socially um not neoliberal he's he's more of a um a real true liberal so we can have conversations about it but um i think we're going to differ on um on healthcare cuz he believes in universal health but it's always run and controlled by mega banks and the hospitals and the foundations so it it to me in the system the way it's set up would be an absolute. Um, well, I mean, we've seen with Obamacare, and that's not that's not universal health care by any stretch of the imagination. But we've seen that it's um, it's fallen short of expectations. 